As part of my ongoing efforts to get the hang of Sabre and understand what's going on, I thought who better to speak to than the woman who coined the phrase the Russian box of death, who creates the videos for epic Sabre hits and the owner of the Sydney Sabre Centre. So I spoke to Francis Chow and here's what she had to say. Okay, so uh, Francis, uh, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us uh, and welcome no to welcome to the Fencing Podcast. Thank you. Um, reason we've got in touch is, well... We're always looking for help on getting a bit more insight into into Sabre. Uh, Gavin and I's lack of expertise still regularly pointed out to us. Um, so we thought we would turn to you. Um, so my first question, the, the the hot topic really in in Sabre fencing, is the the rule change that was introduced at the start of the season. Um, and you coined the phrase, I believe, the Russian box of death. It has been slightly modified during the course of the season, but um, I really just wanted to get your your view on why it was introduced, um, and whether that change has been effective. Well, it's actually quite an interesting situation in that it was very, very messy towards the start of the season. So it's quite important to distinguish between the rule that was originally proposed to the FIE Congress and the rule that's actually now being tested. So the rule that was originally proposed was to have the back foot on the start line, which for a lot of particular senior men's fences means you're starting at less than two metres closing distance. And it really is an action where you, uh, a distance where you can hit with single action. Um, what's then been brought in is a three-metre start distance, which is what the recent World Cups have been run on. And that's really a completely different animal. So the original rule that was proposed, we took one look at it and said, this is ridiculous and dangerous and we can't really see a reason why it would work. And that was what the original Russian box of death was coined for. Um, but then the three-metre thing is something that's a bit more interesting. Um, and after quite a bit of testing and after looking at how it's worked out on the A grade, we're actually really in favour of it. And, and did you get the feeling that that's the, uh, that's the opinion of, of most of the senior sabreras and coaches and referees? I don't know. It's very, very split. Um, some people I know um, really, really hate it and are still adamantly opposed to it. A lot of the American coaches in particular seem to be very concerned about injury risk, um, and this is something that's talked about very frequently, is that it's more dangerous and you have more collisions. Um, that, I think, is actually largely dependent on the refereeing. Um, if the referees are splitting actions where both fences go forward in the three metres, they're splitting sort of quote-unquote simultaneous actions more finely and people are rewarded for extending early, then it's not too much of an issue. And we saw that at the um, in the final rounds of the last two tournaments that we didn't have too many collisions and the refs were splitting things very, very finely. When refs are more hesitant to split, then there's more of a tendency of the fences to hold back and to not extend early, and then you get massive guard collisions, you get knee clashes, you get fences landing on each other's feet. It's a mess. Uh, so there really does seem to be a bit of a tendency that when the refereeing is more stringent about splitting simultaneous actions, there's less of a risk of collision, and when there's not, it does actually start to turn into a bit of a mess. Um, the other I mean, other people will seem to be opposed to it just because it's not what they're used to or it's just weird or one of the comments I've had from a senior, from um, a kind of current top 10 rated fencer is, I don't like it, it's too close, but it seems to work. <laughs> right. And that, I think, seems to be quite a common position among the, uh, the kind of high rated fencers. I'm not sure about the coaches. I haven't really spoken to the coaches. I get the impression that a lot of them are a bit more traditional and probably are more opposed to it. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, um, 
few people I've spoken to, most most Nazi-speaking coaches largely seem um, opposed to the idea, just exactly on the grounds that you say it's um, it's not what they're used to, and they don't like it as a result. So uh, I think that's maybe a bit, a bit of opposition there amongst the coaches, the old fuddy duddies that we are. Um, I mean, I think the um, I mean the original reason that was at least publicly given for it is that it would reduce simultaneous actions. Now there was supposed to be a statistical analysis of this done um, as part of the test. I'm not sure whether that was done. I certainly haven't seen any data or heard anything about it. Um, and we haven't really analysed that ourselves either. We literally just haven't had the capacity to go through and do frequency counts of A grade starting actions and run the stats. But what we have noticed is the fights are a lot shorter than they used to be. So we used to be looking at kind of 12, 13, 14 minutes for a typical DE at an A-grade tournament. And now we're looking at like six, seven minutes. Um, so the duration of the fights is cut down. The refs do seem to be splitting a lot more simultaneous actions than they did previously. And that's actually completely legitimate because it is now much easier to separate actions where both fences go forward in the start zone it's more intuitive and it's more clear as to who initiates the attack. There's a bit less of a capability for the fences to fudge an attack while actually holding yeah. um, than there is at four metres. So do you think that the the uh, three-metre on-guard line is, is uh, here to stay or do you think we'll see the, the, the trial come to an end and decide back to Frankly, back to um, I, I'm all for it. Um, and given that we're a bunch of bomb-throwing radicals at the end of the world, uh, that means it's probably doomed. What I have heard uh, in the last week or so strongly suggests that it is going to get cut and we are going to go back to four metres uh, towards the end of the week. And I have heard to the effect that they're basically planning for the next World Cup in Warsaw to be run at four metres. So that's in two weeks' time. Um, obviously, this is all gossip and speculation at this point. We'll have to see on Friday. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we do like a bit of speculation and gossip, though. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, so I suppose then my my next question is, who who since the Olympics uh, seems to have been the fencers and nations that are are on the up, and who's who's going in the opposite direction? Do you think? Well, it's quite interesting that there really haven't been any huge changes. So just bear in mind, um, in terms of my area that I follow, it's almost exclusively senior men's sabre. So I don't really follow the women's that much. I do not have time. And I don't really follow the junior or cadet events either. But in the senior men's event, um, obviously the, the big headline change has been the retirement of Yakimenko and Kovalev, which has left quite a large hole in the top 10. But they're actually the only two who have left. Everyone else who dropped out for a few months to have a holiday or whatever has now come back. Um, And we've got pretty much the same field that we had before the Olympics, which is quite surprising. There were quite a few people who had basically announced that they were going to retire and have now hung around. And that is possibly also related to the rule change. I think quite a lot of people were curious about how it was going to turn out. And they actually kind of wanted to stay in and play around with the new rules and see how it was going to work. Um, So I suspect it actually may have kept a few of the old dogs in. Um, But in terms of who's really on the up or who's been doing well, there haven't been any really striking changes other than the Romanian teams had quite a large decline in fortunes. Obviously the Russians have as well because they've lost their two main um, sort of anchor fences. And their young guys really haven't come up enough yet. Um, they've kind of showing signs of promise here and there, but they haven't really established a 
dominant position yet. Um, it's been the same with the US, uh, that with Dershowitz and Speer out of action at the last tournament in particular, yeah. um, they're really left with a bit of a, an empty team where they really only have Daryl Homer as a super, super strong fencer left. Um, the Hungarians seem to be doing very well. The young Hungarians seem to be uh, coming up quite nicely. And obviously the Koreans have got now two very strong younger fencers on the team with Lee and Oh, um, who are being quite dominant. And it's quite exciting to see how they're developing. It's quite interesting with the Koreans that typically their young guys kind of perform at a much higher level really early in their career, um, possibly because the training regime they come from is so uh, – Testing, I should say. <laughs> brutal, uh, brutal was the word I was going to use, but yeah, testing's testing will do. <laughs> the ones, the ones that actually make it out onto the A grade circuit are generally pretty strong. But O in particular is someone who's really interesting because we've been watching him since he was competing just on the internal Korean tournament in twenty thirteen. Internal Korean tournaments in twenty thirteen. We kind of thought he's going to get properly legitimately good, and a lot of people went, "Ah, it's just another Korean flash in the pan. You'll win one tournament and disappear." But it does seem that he's now turning into something of a fixture on the scene, and yeah. I think we're going to watch his career with great interest. Yeah, certainly he was one that uh, John Southfield pointed out as uh, one to, to keep an eye on at the start of the season. Uh, yeah, but I think I think the two deal. main teams that are really really strong at the moment are the Italians and the Koreans, um, followed probably by the Hungarians and the French. In fact, um, are doing very well. Anstett's having a real late career renaissance um, where. He's quite an interesting fencer in that there's nothing that really jumps out as being incredibly distinctive, but he's very, very disciplined um, and very experienced, and he has adapted to the new rules very quickly, um, and he's been performing very well. Same with uh, Abedini and the Iranians, actually. The Iranians, over the last couple of years, have really come out of nowhere um, and become much stronger and Abedini is interesting because he's quite a lot older than a lot of the guys um, yeah. he's competing against. Um, he's not kind of blindingly fast or blindingly powerful, but again, he does seem to be very disciplined, very sensible, and very experienced and very wily, and he plays the game very well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that was, uh, as no, no being sort of close followers to Sabre, that was a, a result of their, their team win at the start of the season. Um Really struck uh, myself and Gav as you know something genuinely remarkable. But now that I look into it a bit more closely, I realise that uh, that perhaps shouldn't have come as quite as much of a surprise as it did to us. Well, there was a fascinating match between Abedini and O in um, in Padua the other week. Yeah. So O had just beaten Zilagi quite comprehensively, um, and then drew Abedini and lost um, just because he got to the last point and tried to do something really flashy, and Abedini just kind of held the line. Did the safest, most high probability action. Yeah. O tried to do something really crazy and out there and athletic, which we do love him for, but in this case it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it kind of it went to the guy and went, right, what is the most likely thing to work? I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. See, see fencing. See fencing. It's uh, playing the percentages. Yep. Okay. Definitely. Um, now, I wanted to ask you about um, the Epic Sabre Hits compilations that you, you produce for Sydney Sabre because they're um, a fantastic resource. I've been aware of those for, for quite a long time. Um, oh, thank and you. I thoroughly enjoy them. Uh, so, so tell me how those, those started. 
Um, in terms of the, the, the single hits that we post on Facebook, the kind of hit of the day, um, that actually grew out of uh, a couple of years ago, one of our fences started making, um, started making gifts of cool fencing hits just from the club. Yeah. And I went, hey, this sport is really, really suited to this because you get these little five to 10 second actions that are really fantastic. So I started making those and posting them on the blog. And then they've kind of shifted over to Facebook because it's just such a good medium for little short videos. And so I just kind of rummage through the matches and I have a team of um, cadet fences from the club who on their school lunch breaks or whatever go and watch matches and find cool hits and send them through and then I'll compile them and post them. And that's just something there to kind of make the really spectacular actions from individual matches come up. And they're quite a good format because even a fencer who is not particularly well-known or is really new on the scene and doesn't have a lot of footage available can do an amazing thing once and yeah. we can see them and kind of go, hey, that was great, I'm going to post that. Um, <clears throat> the longer compilation videos on YouTube are really there to highlight the distinguishing features of the athletes who are really doing well um, and we think are really interesting. And they're literally just a hobby project I do for fun. So on a Friday night, instead of watching a movie, I'll sit down with a glass of wine and pick a song that I like and start editing. And it usually takes me five or six hours once I have the footage um, of the fencer ready and once I've picked a song. Usually it will take five or six hours to edit one of those videos together. Um, and generally I'm looking to try and create a general overview excuse me, of what they like to do, of what their short-range attacks are, what their long-range attacks are, whether they like to counter-attack a lot, what parries they like to take to kind of cluster these things together and really show off what their game is built on. Um, I always feel slightly worried that people are going to get mad at me for kind of making it easier to figure out what their game is and beat them, but I don't think that's really something that anyone's particularly concerned about, um, particularly the people I've asked. I do always ask before I post any of these. Um, I send them off for approval, right. um, and no one has said no so far. Oh, I was going to ask, yeah, has anyone objected wildly to, uh, to you giving their secrets away? <laughs> Well, it's all publicly available footage, and I get the impression that they're all of the opinion that uh, anyone who's seriously trying to go gunning for them is going to go and do their homework anyway. And in fact, in most cases, it's worth noting that the Epic Saber compilations look on the surface like a wonderful cheat sheet to someone's style, but in fact, they're not, because they only show, in most cases, single light hits. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of cases, they're actually wildly misleading. And a fencer will get three quarters of their points doing something that doesn't appear in the video at all. And the video is really just their totally exceptional, amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, particularly, uh, Tibi Domestano is a classic example of that, where the enormous majority of his points are absolutely plain, simple, four meter advanced lunge game. Um, but once he gets out of that, he does this spectacular, um, spectacular game, which is really great television. But in reality, that's like 5% of his hits. So if you tried to beat him in a fight based on watching his compilation video, you would come out quite, quite the worst for wear. Yeah, you're going to be, going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and your blog as well. Um, I, as I say, I've, I've been aware of the um, Epic Saber hits and Epic Hit of the Day uh, for quite a while. Um, but started reading your blog, blog recently. I really enjoyed that as well. Um, do you think there's... Um, you th would you like to see more um, blogging and reporting and opinion giving on 
on fencing generally. It, it strikes oh, me absolutely. as something that... I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm running a club out here, and really what we're trying to do is to make the sport look more mainstream, more professional, more approachable, and make it something where people can just get on Google, search for sabre fencing, and get something that is actually looks like recognisable sports coverage. Um, and this is... Partly just to kind of grow the sport in general and partly also so that if people are thinking of coming in fencing, they can actually look it up and find something and go, oh, okay, this is what it's about, rather than having this vacuum. Um, it's quite interesting that over the last couple of years, really in the last year, a lot more good reporting has started to come out for fencing. Um, certainly when I started doing this for Sabre, there was very little else. Um, there was the YouTube channel for Cyrus of Chaos, um, which is a spectacular resource, and we actually – honestly learnt a lot about Sabre from there. And that was where I originally ripped off the idea of the um, the compilation videos because that was something that Andrew did very well um, for many years. But um, there was very little else out there. And so we kind of just went, there's this huge hole, let's go and put something there so there's a bit less of a hole. And now more specialist people seem to be popping up, particularly in the other weapons. Sabre's still a bit of a, uh, a desert in the, in many ways, but we're doing what we can basically to try and make the sport look a bit more normal. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's great. Um, as I say, I, I really appreciate what you've, you've put out there for, uh, uh, for the viewing public like myself. Um, well, I mean, the, the kind of the basic concept behind it really is that most fencing coverage, most fencing media, the commentary on FIE events and so forth is all geared towards people who have had nothing to do with the sport ever. And so you'll have explanations of how the scoring lights are working in the middle of a semi-final at a Grand Prix. Yeah. And I've always found that completely bizarre because if I sit down to watch a cricket match or a tennis match, or even if I sit down to watch figure skating, I don't get commentary explaining the mechanics of how the scoring works. I get commentary that's actually discussing the game and the athletes and what's happening and what the technical, so what the sort of tactical details are and what's going on. And they treat the viewer as if the viewer is interested enough to kind of go and learn the basics if they don't know anything. But they assume that you at least care enough to be able to figure that out on your own. And they can then talk to you like you're an informed person about stuff that's a bit more interesting. And the problem with fencing is that hasn't really been there. And so we're just trying to put something out just like, here's which teams are doing well normal sports coverage stuff. Here's the gossip. Here's whatever hilarious scandal has just happened. Here's an interesting trend that we've noticed. Um, that kind of stuff that you would see in more typical sports reporting rather than this is how you score a point. Yeah. Yeah. And sure obviously enough. there is a place for that as well. And we have tried to, to cover that as well um, with Intro to Modern Sabre, which kind of goes through what scoring mechanics are. But um, there's a really, really big gap there, um, which is starting to be filled a bit better. But it's still very obvious, and particularly the commentary. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, certainly that's one of my frustrations. Uh, watching watching commentary, um, that it yeah, it always seems to pander to an audience other than well, other than me and a lot of other fencers that I know that watch it. But, so uh, I mean, essentially, if if someone is watching a Grand Prix, um, they're almost certainly someone who already fences. I mean, yeah. if someone's watching a live stream of the Cancun Grand Prix on YouTube, the the number of people who are just going to blunder across that knowing nothing about fencing at all are going to be negligible. The enormous majority of people watching it are going to be fencers. So why not actually provide a really great viewing experience for them where they can get informed, they can learn interesting stuff, they can really get it more engaged with it, 
um, and not try and pander to people who, if they have stumbled across this by accident, are probably not that interested um, and are not that likely to get seriously engaged with it. It just seems like a very, it seems like a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I've noticed a trend this uh, season that they started using, um, bringing in co-commentators that are usually um, current fencers. And I found that mm. a really uh, useful addition to the commentary, to get an inside, insider's view of the sport. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm definitely a huge fan of working with and talking with athletes um, more so than coaches even. Um, I think that's something that's the sports traditionally hasn't really particularly done conversations with athletes very well. Um, and the athletes' contributions, I think, are often trivialised a little. Um, so we've been really trying to work with current athletes as much as possible uh, because even in sort of the technical aspects, they most of them have a huge amount to contribute and they have an understanding of the game that I think in many ways is a little bit different to what some of the coaches have. Um, and it's very interesting to see that comparison and to try and work out what's going on there because um, the athletes in many ways, are they're the ones who really are having to put all of this properly to the test. Yeah, I agree. It's a, yeah, they're a, they're a, a great and undervalued resource, I think, in terms of informing the, uh, informing the, the fencing public about, uh, what the sport's really like. Uh, I, w- I would like to hear, hear and see more of that, certainly. Well, I think that's definitely something that, um, the organizers of the FIA events have been doing quite well. Um, but it's just this, this constant thing, which is like, we, we don't need you to explain the scoring lights, yeah. particularly when one of the fences, for example, has just run at his opponent in the semi-final of Grand Prix. That's probably more worth remarking on than <laughs> the fact that the light on the helmet turns on when they hit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it probably is. That, 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 was, that, was, that was a particularly great moment. One of the Russian guys just flat out ran and, yeah, I believe it was, it was much as Zabo was in the commentary box going, um... But actually, that hit doesn't count because yeah. did you see what he just did? <laughs> it was very amusing. <laughs> um, so we've we've kind of mentioned your your club a little bit, almost in passing, uh, while while picking your brains for um, your your views and opinions on on the what's happening in, in men's saber. Um, but please please tell me about your club because um, we have a, a mutual friend, uh, Phil Carson, uh, head coach at Salvosian. Uh, that, that came who was very instrumental in helping us get set up, actually. Really? Um, no, we uh, – so I run Sydney Sabre. Um, we're a private Sabre club based in inner Sydney. Um, we're actually, I think, quite unusual, certainly for an Australian fencing club, in that, firstly, we're fully commercial, um, and secondly, we are aimed primarily at training adult beginners to play the game recreationally. Um, that certainly doesn't mean we're opposed to high performance. We want our athletes to do well and we want them to go and win tournaments, um, but we are pitched primarily at people getting into the sport and playing it and enjoying it, um, and we want to kind of keep people in it for life um, so this is something that they can continue to do as a really social thing. Uh, we opened just coming up on five years in May, and we now have about 400 regular fences. Wow. Hardcore of competitive fences is about 50. Um, and we specialize in basically taking people off the street who've never seen fencing before and getting them in matches, in full electrics and refereeing um, in 45 minutes or so. Thanks. And we do that, I think, quite successfully. Yeah, it certainly sounds like. I mean, that's a that's a, a big, big membership, I would say. We've, we've trained about, for, for the initial class, um, 
we train people for about an hour and a half. So we teach them the basics and we get them fencing matches. And over the last five years, we've trained about six and a half thousand people through that class um, in Sydney. So these are mostly people who've never had any exposure to fencing previously outside of movies. And they come in and they play the game and they learn how the flow of the priority works and how you move. They do some fights. And universally, the feedback that we get from people from that is that is so much more fun than I was expecting it to be, (laughs) which is always really good to hear. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what's the what's the fencing scene like in Australia? Um, Obviously, I'm at the other side of the world. So um, hard for me to follow what's what's going on there. I have a few Australian friends, of course, but uh, how how would you describe uh, Australian fencing's general health at the moment? moment it's actually very positive um it's i mean it's a small sport in australia um we're in kind of the smallest category in terms of funding and support from the federal government but um there's been some quite promising progress in the last couple of years particularly in junior men's foil is doing uh, doing very well and they've been getting some really really positive results internationally yeah of course it's very difficult because in terms of travel time and cost it is so hard for us to kind of get out to the rest of the world and participate and train and kind of get in on the circuit so we kind of scuttle off to all the Asian tournaments because at least then it's only a 10-hour flight rather than a 20-hour flight. <laughs> yeah, um, <easy. laughs> But it is quite uh, limiting being this far away. But the thing that's interesting is that a lot of the online content for fencing is coming out of Australia. So there's the Sydney Sabre Channel. There's also another channel which is run by a fencer called Jesse Morris, who's also in Sydney. Oh, and yes, he runs yeah. a lot of men's foil stuff. Um, so there's actually quite a lot of uh, – kind of media and social media stuff for fencing coming out of Australia, I think because we're so far away from everyone, we really do have a bit more of a reliance on the internet to get information about what's going on rather than just kind of showing up at tournaments and talking to people, which we can't do on a regular basis. So how do you think the the future looks for Australian fencing? As you you say, I've I've been aware of the improvement in um, in the, the men's foilists, which is kind of my uh, sort of biggest area mm. of interest, I suppose. Is it, uh, is it upwards and onwards for Australia, do you think, or is there uh, a lot of work to be done? Well, there's always a lot of work to be done, and I think the sport as a whole is becoming much more competitive, um, which is great. It's becoming more professional, it's becoming more organised, and the standard is going up. And this is one of the things that we've noted, particularly in men's sabre in the last few years, is the level of athleticism um, has just increased enormously and you really can't get away anymore with only being a bit of a mediocre athlete, particularly in men's sabre. You really have to be able to move. And so the level of difficulty is going up, um, which means I think for a lot of federations like Australia, you have fencers who are getting stronger, they're training hard, they're doing really well, but they're actually staying pretty much in place in the international rankings because everybody is moving up. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of an arms race happening. But that's raising the quality of the sport overall, and I don't think that's really particularly concerning. Um, what we are really interested in doing, particularly at Sydney Sabre, is increasing the perception of the sport as kind of a mainstream sport that you can just go and play for fun and it's not this weird elitist thing. It's not only at the Olympics. It's a game and it's something that you can enjoy. And we're really pushing that angle very hard. So a lot of our media content that we put out is pitched really at that Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, 
you're right. I mean, most most people's perception, if they are not involved with the sport, is that it's um, something weird and exotic and that they can't possibly get into. So, yeah, I think changing that perception is really important if our, our sport is to become more mainstream and, uh, and more popular. Yeah, and also the um, I think the other thing that we really want to try and do is to increase engagement with the competitive events by people who aren't participating in them that there's not very much of a culture in fencing of people actually watching events or following events or following the international rankings, um, unless it's kind of someone you know from your club. There's not really much of a tradition of people going to tournaments and watching a tournament for fun or even streaming it online. And it's, it is kind of disheartening in a way that you look at the FIE streams of major events mm, yeah. and the viewership numbers are tiny. And you think, I, I know – a hundred times more fences than that. Why aren't they watching? This is like the marquee event of your sport. It's a Saturday night. Why aren't we here watching sports? Like this is what sport is for. It's like having the Super Bowl and having like a hundred people out the back of the paddock watching it because like they're not out there playing. So why would they bother? Yeah. It's kind of, there's this complete lack of spectator engagement. And that's really something that we want to address because if you want to increase the level of funding in a sport, that's something that's absolutely essential to have. There has to be viewership and there has to be spectator engagement. Um, and so that's something that we're really interested in trying to create and trying to build because that is where, that's where the funding is going to come from. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, Francis, I'll, I'll not keep you any longer. Partly because it's almost one o'clock in the morning here. It's been a, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, though. Thanks very much indeed for uh, taking the time to to speak to me, and I'll, I'll hopefully speak to you again very soon. Not a problem. Thank you very much. <laughs>